0: Welcome to the UC Berkeley Data Science Education podcast. We're happy you're listening in today. In this space, you'll hear from a variety of distinguished data science educators and professionals. The individuals we'll speak with are diverse in experience and perspective, but share the common goal of shaping the future of data science education. Our idea is to have some informal conversations with the goal of creating community and let people hear from practitioners in this growing new field.
1: And my name is Lauren Chu, also from Data Science Undergraduate Studies. I'm working as an intern with the division's external pedagogy team, and I'll be helping to guide the conversation today, too.
0: Great. So today we have John Cardoso Silva from the London School of Economics with us. Um, Could you give us a brief introduction to yourself and what you're currently working on? And if you could explain what it means that you're a professor of data science education.
2: Of course, uh, thank you very much. Thank you for this invitation. Uh, it's it's an honor to be here. Um, I'm Dr. John Cardoso Silva. As you said, I'm Brazilian uh, originally. I'm from there, uh, but right now I live and work in the UK uh, at the LSE. And I started here in 2021. First as a postdoc, but shortly I switched over to this track. It's it's called an education career track, where most of your responsibilities have to do with education. And the way you get promoted in this in this career track is by taking leadership on teaching and things around the school. Not so much emphasis on research. So that's why there's a education in that. I'm an assistant professor of education, uh, specifically in data science, and I'm based in the Data Science Institute, which is this hub at LSC for disseminating and connecting, linking, all the other departments uh, that teach social sciences here um, connect them through data science essentially. Awesome thank you it's exciting
0: to hear that it's a data science education is growing over there as well. It Um, is. So you know I found your course materials your course and your course materials like beautifully laid out open source Um, and I was just you know it makes me happy when I see other educators sort of teaching in this public, open source way, where the materials aren't locked behind the LMS. I was wondering if you just comment about like your vision there and and how that sort of helps to build community and, and build presence.
2: Absolutely. Well, one of the first things I can say is that I right now I that was kind of like a self inflicted uh, problem for me because I have to duplicate the material to Moodle. So we use Moodle here. Uh, because of you know regulations and everything so uh, uh, at the school and but i can certainly say that students appreciate it a lot so they do like they do comment that they like having a website that it looks more modern and easy for them to browse like from the student's perspective it's also positive but as you mentioned for me the the best thing is really uh the fact that i can share that with other educators and and i had people coming to me already and sending emails and say, how can I adapt my own course to use your own layout and things like that? And that was all based in Quarto Markdown. And there's a template available online and people can use and adapt. And all the, the courses I teach, they're all available uh, for everyone to see, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. It
0: seems like Quarto is really gonna like move things forward in this area. Um... All right. So before your time at LSE, it also says that you were a data scientist at a data science consultancy. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how you can bring experience from being a consultant into the classroom?
2: Definitely. I think that's that's so that was that mix of experience uh, is so was sort of relevant to me. Like it is one of the major things that I draw from when I'm teaching in the classroom. So uh, I was I was a partner in this company for for a little while. And over there, we had clients from across all different industries. So we had government, we had airliners, we had uh, insurance companies. They all wanted to adopt and use data science in 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 become. They wanted data science to become part of their main operations. So they just didn't know how. And it was very exciting because you never had a project that was super long. You never had a project that would like got stale or anything like that we would implement algorithms and we would deploy them and we would see the benefits and we would do a b tests and some of these algorithms were not successful and then uh, of course no one is happy when your algorithm is not successful Uh, so I had a chance to experience all of that Uh, but most importantly I think when it comes to teaching and educating I think the most relevant skill I learned there was to manage teams really, because I had, I was the lead data scientist I, um, and I had to hire and I had to do everything, right? So to manage the team, uh, allocate them to different projects, different clients. Uh, most of my time was spent mostly managing the teams rather than on the technical bits of creating algorithms. I did a lot of that as well. Uh, so that was so, so useful because this is uh, my team of TAs. I, ha- I just had an onboarding session with them this week, for example, and the teaching assistants that are starting with us this term. And they we, I, we just had an onboarding where I showed them, look, we have this project board and we're treating all of these projects, all of these courses as projects. They're kind of like software projects in a way. <laughs> And it is a bit daunting for people who are just starting on that, but I, I I tell them like trust me, it's gonna it's gonna make sense, and it will. And that's definitely a skill that I bring here, and I feel and they they all appreciate that. Like in the end, we had some conversations. I think that's that's for me number one skill that I learned in industry uh, that I carry over to 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 teaching and for the, to the courses as well, even dealing with of the course material and workload and everything.
0: That is awesome, Court... Instructor as product manager and yeah. course as open source software project. I love it. Yeah. That's, totally That's how I view it. Yeah.
1: You can clearly see that the I need bias. to
0: yeah. share with people regularly.
2: Yeah. You can clearly right. see the bias as a um, past, a previous software engineer uh, in, spilling out into the educator, educator world.
0: Yeah. It's good. A lot of, uh, yeah, um, symbiotic and things we could learn yeah. from each process there. All right, so interesting overlap segue to you have this new project that, as I understand it, is thinking about using large language models in the classroom. And if it's okay, what I understand is like running an experiment of giving students in a programming class ability to use LLM support (laughs) in learning to program. And yeah. that is amazing. So many people are going to be really interested about that. In my university, people are petrified about what LLMs <laughs> are doing to higher education overall. But there's lots of us on the coding side that pretty much see it as like a superpower for somebody. Like once you know something about coding, you can really take things a lot farther. So could you tell us about
2: that project? Definitely. Oh, there's so much in there. Uh, um, so this project, we call it Genio and it stands for uh, generative AI tools as a catalyst, catalyst for learning. It, it, it's on a very positive note, as you can sense, right? So like we, we're framing it as a, as a catalyst for learning, but I feel like we, we missed here, like the opportunity to make that as a question mark. Is, is it really a catalyst for learning or does it hinder the learning process? And I say that because I just finished teaching a summer school course, also in data science, data engineering. And that was the first time I noticed that students came to the classroom and they were using uh, chat gpt all the time they some students wouldn't even listen to me or to my instructions or anything like that they were just chatting with the ai and i was kind of i was kind of irrelevant there and my anecdotal experience in teaching that showed that these students were overly relying on the chatbot they performed poorly on the course like uh, they they didn't really uh benefit from the course they didn't really learn they were using old versions of packages that we were teaching, that we were covering that, you know, they were out of date and things like that. So that is when I started saying, say, oh, okay, this is great that they're using it. I, it's very powerful. I love using these AI tools for my own coding. But for, when it comes to teaching and learning, it's, there, there's there's a point in which it's not that helpful. Uh, and this project, Genio, is all about trying to find the evidence for uh, when it is useful and when it is not. So we're designing some experiments and it will be part of the the, um, uh, the open source courses as well. Like the, the material will be there. We're designing like uh, uh, exercises in the classroom and in which we will say, now go to chat GPT or go to GitHub Copilot and try to use this, try to see if you can solve this task using those. And then we have uh, some reflection. Um, we're going to ask students to reflect on their ability to learn and recall things and uh, and really like their perception, even their their emotional response to all of this. So it is it is going we're starting this now. So in the first academic term now in the autumn uh, fall for those in the US, and then uh, we're going to revisit our strategy, our methodology uh, over Christmas in a way. And then on the next term, we are going to deploy another one and. Uh, another version of, of that. And the same courses, because I have courses that are running, they're short courses that are running in both academic terms over here. So it's it's super exciting. I'm, I'm curious to see um, how our students will respond to that. And I think this will be the first academic year in which we'll see this mass, mass adoption of chat GPT in the classroom, whether we like it or not, whether instructors, um, educators like it or not. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Kind of delving deeper into your role inside the classroom, um, we've read that you're very interested in how data science teams are kind of structured and managed in practice, not just um, like kind of idealistic, um, as well as the identification of coding, best practices, um, and kind of the d- dynamics between um, players within a team so that you could have kind of the highest potential to lead um, to the success of a product. Um, can you expand on your research on these aspects?
2: Sure. Uh, I actually will comment first on, on the education aspects of this. Like, I started I started doing some research on that. Uh, even 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 when I was in the, in industry in this consultancy, in Brazilian consultancy that we mentioned, um, because we noticed there, there was there was a colleague of mine who was a project manager there in this in in the company, and we were always like going for what are, what is the best way to organize a team so that they can work effectively and they can do things. And we started experimenting with our own projects and we got some of our own internal notes kind of a research and development unit we had there for this. Uh, So this is kind of a carryover of that. And right now what I'm doing is I'm thinking about the courses I'm teaching when they have a group element uh, I want them to experience that interpersonal dynamics, right? So that will eventually become a full-blown research project. It's still not yet. It's like it's it's incipient yet, but it's it's growing. Um, what I'm doing is I I ask students, I teach students about uh, project management and this kind of things. And the same things I do with my teaching assistants, the same way I lead these pro- research projects that I have, that are open source and those that are closed source i want my students to experience that and it can be as technical as look this is git this is github and there's this thing called a pull request so many students will not come with that knowledge beforehand right so we teach them git github pull requests and then now we're we're bringing that more and into effect in which the students will have to review each other's code right they have to decide whether to approve something or not whether to discuss something or not we bring a little bit more structure, uh, and that hopefully will mimic the real life uh, ideal environment that we want um, data science to be like. in In a research project, in in a data science project in industry, at least in the ones I exper uh, I had experience with, the best projects were the ones that this communication with teams were uh, effective. Like it's it's not about the best deep learning model it's not about that it really is not about that it's more about do we know what we need from each other do we know what the client or the user wants or if it's a research project that uses data science what is a research goal what is a research objective uh, it really is this ability and that I'm, I'm creating some sort of structures to help train people to practice that and, and then i want to experiment with different configurations and see which ones were more effective.
1: Definitely, I really like that answer. Um, so, throughout this interview, we've talked about how you've been an industry data scientist as well as an educator. So, if you could talk a little bit about that transition between being solely a data scientist to mm. also becoming an educator, um, what's something that you've learned that you wish you knew before you began teaching?
2: Right, I, I did. I did the switch multiple times. Actually. I did start uh, when I was uh, doing my bachelor's. I had. I was working as a full stack software developer, so very technical. Uh, I was using uh, the programming language Java. Then I did a master's. So I quit industry, went to do a master's. Then I did a PhD, was here in the UK in computer science. And then after I finished the PhD, I went back to Brazil and then I joined this consultancy. And so I I I didn't search for jobs in academia. I searched for jobs in industry. And after a while, I was like, I think I've hit a roadblock here. I want to go back to, uh, to academia. I like, uh, I miss being in an environment where you can teach and you can learn from others. There's more intellectual environment. So for me, it's kind of like doing these jumps. Uh, it's kind of natural for me, I guess. And, but also it helped. And one thing I wish I had l- l- known before teaching, like actually leading courses and things like that is just how much um, the how much structure, uh, structural constraints there are in education. I don't know how to put that in in, in practice into words, but for example, one, one minor example. Here in the UK, there's a lot of worry about grade inflation, so we don't want students to have a super high grades, but at the same time, we're not supposed to uh, standardize the grades. We're supposed to grade them on merit only. We're not supposed to you know, rates students according to their peers, which is, in my view, a bit silly, because like how I, I pose them a question, my my a problem set, let's say, and those problem sets have to test their knowledge of what I taught in the course. But if I just test their knowledge, they can reach 100, right? Because I'm assessing what I taught them. So that means I always have to go and give them some crazy Task that is beyond what I taught in the course, which raises questions from students like, "Why are you asking us to do this thing that we didn't do?" So this can be a barrier in in the way of planning programs and things like that. So I wish I had knowledge of those uh, impositions before I started leading courses. Yeah, I think that's the number one for me.
1: Definitely. Um. Def- so expanding upon your role within the classroom, how should we as data scientists and educators be creating or evolving a community around data science education as you've been inside and outside of the classroom?
2: Yeah, Lauren, I think the 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 thing I miss the most, I wish we had a kind of a manifesto, I guess, <laughs> like some, some guiding principles that are common to everyone teaching data science uh, across the globe, because uh, if you if you start looking at different units doing data science teaching, they're always attached to their own uh, immediate neighborhood of discipline. So over here, we're attached to the social sciences because this is, uh, um, in, you know, a data science, a social science institution. So we are teaching data science fo- with a focus on upskilling um, uh, those who are learning social science uh, topics. But there are some commonalities, of course, right? We're teaching the same tools, the same techniques, and there are some some of those interpersonal dynamics that I mentioned. I wish we all taught in common. We had those things in common. So I guess I feel like they're, they're, they're the need for like a, an organization or a manifesto or a document or something that we could like, yeah, this is these are the values that we, we abide to. And yeah, that's that's my wish.
1: Yeah definitely kind of a unification of everyone in the industry and academia Um, and as we kind of end up um, wrapping up this interview something that we always ask every single interviewee is do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for data science educators around the world?
2: I would say that make your thoughts your materials public and open to everyone I think I would say that that's uh, that is one principle that if we if we ever decide to write our own manifesto here, like I would put that somewhere, because this is the best way that we have to learn from each other. Uh, you can see here in the UK we have, for example, the Alan Turing Institute, and they have lots and lots of material, not just for education but for everything. And I love it because like everything is there, we can draw from each other. Uh, yeah, so I think like let's let's share more and be more open and, and integrate a bit more.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I love it. Um, I don't know if we're going to get to manifesto anytime soon. um, (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Great to have a conversation with you. Great to meet you.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you're interested in learning more about data science education resources, Please subscribe to our Substack to get notified when we release any future podcasts. And join our community Slack channel through the link provided in this episode's description. Thank you.